Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and they do it in just three easy steps. Just go onto their website, mercurymile.com, create a profile, have your all your the things that you love on there, your sizes, your preferences, and they will send you a box of curated goodies about a week, week and a half later, filled with usually 8 to 12 items that you're really going to like. And that's the best part, that you get to keep what you love and send back what you don't, no extra cost, you don't pay for shipping, and this is not a subscription box service. You just order a box when you want one, and if you use promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER10, you'll save 10 bucks on your stylist fee. You cannot go wrong. I love this company. They've been sponsoring the show for about a year now. And hey, I got a bunch of good products from them. Actually, what I'm going to be wearing tomorrow morning is something I got from Mercury Mile. So there you go. With this episode, I do want to give you a quick shout out. If you downloaded this episode about three minutes ago, you might have noticed there was a lot of static in the intro. I had to scrap that, do a new intro. So first of all, thank you for your patience. This is one that I was really looking forward to recording. I've had on the calendar for a while. This episode is with Erin Williams. Erin is doing just amazing things in every area of her life. She went to West Point, was a baller at West Point. She was a really, really good basketball player. And if anyone who knows me, I couldn't wait to talk to her about that. She's now in grad school at Harvard studying data sciences. That's right, data sciences at Harvard. With that said, she is a boss athlete who also has two kids, bounced back this year, setting PRs, and doing it on running 20 miles a week. What? This is just really, really good. And I was so excited to have her on the show. Before we get into it, I do want to give you a heads up. A week from now, Friday and Saturday, the end of November and December 1st, I'm going to be at the California International Marathon on Friday night at 5.30 p.m. I'm going to be interviewing Sarah Crouch on stage at the Expo. Sarah was was the first American woman at the Chicago Marathon this year, and she's going to be gunning for the win at CIM later this week. I can't wait to talk to her about that. Also, Saturday at 2.30 p.m., again, for free at the Expo on stage, I'll have a panel of four people who have all been on the show. We're talking about Jill Deering, Patrick Cutter, Heather Schultz, and Kim Clark Underwood, all people who have just have a lot of fans out there whose episodes did really well, and I know you're going to be excited to hear from them. That's at 2.30 at the Expo. Following that, 4 o'clock is the Rambling Runner Meetup. We're going to be at the Old Soul Coffee Company. A previous guest, Jen Kistler-McCoy, who owns a, a running tourist company in Sacramento. So they actually conduct running tours. If you heard that podcast, you know what I'm talking about. So she's uh, a local to Sacramento she put me on to Old Soul Coffee Company. She said that's the spot to have it at. And hey, when it comes to Sacramento, I'll believe anything Jen tells me. That's for sure. So that's at 4 o'clock following the 2.30 show. And it's less than a half mile from the Expo. So I'm going to be walking over there straight from the Expo. If you want to join me, that would be fantastic. And I'm actually going to have uh, some goodies in tow. So if you are at CIM, I hope to see you there. With that said, here is my conversation with Aaron Williams. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. 
Hey, Nat. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is cool. Oh, that makes two of us. And I feel like it's like every time I like think about, you know, am I busy? Am I too busy right now? Do I need to scale things back? I like to think about what you have going on in your life. Oh, so I'm man. like, no, <laughs> I am not too busy. Look at what Aaron's up to. So let's just, just to recap, Aaron, you are, you have two young kids. I um, do. Yep. Grace is two and Ben just turned six months. Which is, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, recently moved up to the Boston area. Currently in your, you're currently a graduate student at Harvard in data science. Um, and you're kicking butt as an athlete. And are you still in the military? Are you still in the army? Yes, we are. Uh, my husband and I are both still active duty army. And this is a, we're in a program that the army has called advanced civil schooling, where they send people to essentially get a, a grad, de- a graduate degree and, you know, whatever subject um, the military needs them to. And then we can go back and uh, serve more time. You know, we basically pay for our degree by with service time. So that's the program that we're in right now. Now, how do you um, kind of get, get put into that program? We applied for this. So for, for us specifically, we applied to become instructors at West Point, the United States Military Academy. Um, and this was back in like late 2016, we did those applications. And then we found out we got, uh, the, uh, we got accepted into the program in early 2017 and then uh, went through and applied to grad schools around this time last year. And everything kind of got final finalized in May, like right around the time that Ben was born, uh, about where we would be going. Now, you're a West Point grad. Is your husband as well? No, he isn't. He uh, went through officer candidate school. So he had a different route into the military than I did. So he graduated from a college university, then, then entered OCS? Yes. Yeah. He went to Northern Arizona University up in Flagstaff. And then um, he worked in real estate development for a few years and then decided to join the military. Um, All his grandparents had served and it was something he'd always been interested in. So um, he decided to take the plunge and we ended up meeting at Fort Bragg, which was our first duty station for both of us. So Northern Arizona. So he was up in there in runner's heaven. He was. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, well, um, so when you d- decided to kind of go for the advanced civil schooling component, does there, do you know what your his goal is from a teaching perspective? If the things, if like the stars are to align? If I'm sorry. So I don't understand the question. <laughs> All right. So like, so when you, when you go into advanced civil schooling with the idea of teaching at West Point, did you mm-hmm. already have like certain classes in mind that you would like to be, you know, an instructor for at West Point? Yeah, or is yeah. That, is that further so, down the line? No, so we both, we basically get hired by a department at West Point. So I am going to be um, working in the systems engineering department. So they teach systems engineering and operations research topics. And my husband will be teaching um, in the Department of Military Instruction, which is all of the like military tactics that they teach the cadets. Um, so that's why when we first got accepted, it's up to us to find graduate programs that make sense for us. So we both were, you know, we sat down with a map and <laughs> got on Google and started trying to figure out where we could both um, do a program that fit um, our, like our future positions. And uh, we 
applied to schools in a couple different cities. And I, I remember about this time last year, I was finishing up my application to Harvard and I was like, oh, you know what? It's a, it's a long shot. Like, we'll just, we'll do it because we have nothing to lose. Um, and it was like last February that I found out I got in. And that was honestly a, a huge surprise. Um, but once I got into Harvard, it was, we sat down and laid all the cards on the table and said, okay, this is like, you know, you can't pass up this opportunity, Aaron. So that was kind of what drove us um, in this direction. And, you know, as a fellow New Englander, um, there are just so many schools in the Boston area. Like once one of you got into school up in that area, like there's no way the, like the other one would have been able to figure something out. Yeah, exactly. And my husband's at BC. Um, so we're living in Brookline, which is right in between um, Harvard and Boston College. And it's been just a perfect setup for both of us. Very cool. All right. So you're about to go through your first Boston winter. I'm excited for you. Good luck. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I thought I was going to be biking every day. I I was taking the bus for a while and then uh, that was taking too long. So I started using one of the bike shares. (laughs) The other day I was riding in and by the time I got to school, I was like, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) So I might just need to get some warmer gear. Yeah. Biking on on ice is like there's nothing worse. Yeah. You can can eat it so quick. Yeah, and I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I'm used to. Winters. Oh, so you know, you know the deal. Yeah, I know the deal, but you know, I haven't. Uh, we've basically lived in the quote unquote in the South um, since we both started in the Army. So we've lived in North Carolina, in Missouri, which I know isn't really the South, but they're like kind of the South. Um, they still get winter, but then in Tennessee, and like in both North Carolina and Tennessee, you know, you get like a snow flurry, and the whole state shuts oh. down for. 48 hours so <laughs> this is uh this is not the case up here <laughs> right right so you we just mentioned that you were a west point grad and you actually played hoops at west point i did which, yeah which is like as a fellow hooper i love it um <clears throat> you know west point now was was coach dixon there so she was not um okay. i was a junior in high school the year that she coached that was okay. the, the um what 2005 2006 season and so my window for like where the coaches could actually call us was just opening i think it was the same week that she passed away so i played for her successor dave mcgarity who i think you know um because he was he spent you know 30 years coaching men's basketball and then yeah. he came on as as Maggie Dixon's assistant and he is still coaching at West Point I gosh how long has he been there now like 10 12 years now was um, he at, was he at Marist before he went down to West Point yeah he was at Marist um and he left that job and he spent like two years work maybe a year working in the NBA like as a scout or something like that um and then you know, Maggie Dixon got hired at West Point and knew she needed somebody like she was, I think, 27 or 28 at the time. Young, super very, young. Very, very young. And she knew she needed somebody who could be like her, you know, her mentor um, for that first year. So I guess she the story is she took him out to dinner and just kind of won him over. And was like, OK, like I'm going to offer you a job. And I'm sure he was like, oh, wait, hang on. Who who are you again? <laughs> but it ended up being like the perfect pair for the two of them. Cause it, um, he had all that experience and helped her out. And she really, I guess, reignited his passion for coaching, which is why he is still coaching at West point. There you go. And anyone who knows the Dixon name. So Maggie Dixon, unfortunately passed away, as you mentioned at a very young age, her brother 
is Jamie Dixon, who coached at Pitt for a very long time, was was super successful there, and now is at TCU, I think. Um, I think so. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so what? So, so choosing sports at West Point, like first of all, that's like a, that's like two huge decisions to make, right? It's like, all right, so you want to so you decide you want to play hoops in college, and then just choosing to go to West Point is also like something that you know is going to be you know, an incredible experience, but also one that's going to be very involved. So mm-hmm. what was, so what was your college decision making process like? So that summer, the summer between my junior and senior year, my dad, you know, I was the oldest in my family, oldest of four. So my parents were going through this for the first time and being on the East coast, there's so many schools nearby. So my dad basically took that summer to take me to on as many college visits as he could. Um, I was playing AAU basketball. So we were like driving up and down the East coast anyway. And uh, West Point was just one on his list. Um, actually, I didn't want to visit it at all. I think I threw like this a very um, immature 16 year old temper tantrum the night before. Cause I thought like, there's no way I'm going to go there. This is stupid. This is wasting my time. Um, but I got up there and met the girls who, um, who were there for the summer at that point and just really, really liked them and really liked the direction that they had in their life. And I really enjoyed the, like the structure that it seemed to offer. Um, did you have, did you grow up in a structured environment or is that something that you, you felt like in retrospect that you were kind of like yearning for? Um, I think it's something I was yearning for. Uh, my dad is, a, he spent a career as a Marine. Um, he was a reservist um, pretty much from the time I was born. So he had, I think, a total of 28 years of service in the Marine Corps, although we weren't Marine Corps um, brats per se. Um, so I always had a little bit of like more familiarity with the military and that sort of structure than I think most kids do. Um, but I just never thought it was something for me. Uh, until I visited there and just really, really liked it and saw it as a really cool challenge and something a little, um, little more unique than a standard college. Now, did you go into that, even with your family background, did you go into that, that visit with any preconceived notions that in retrospect were a little off base? I probably did, but I don't remember what they would have been, I guess. Um, I also went into, I, went into the entire experience when I started at West Point with this notion that I would um, go in and do, you're required to serve five years once you graduate. Um, So I thought, you know, like I'll do my five years, I'll go in a branch that's really administrative, like the finance core or something like that. And then, you know, that'll be it. Like I'll close the door on that chapter of my life. So I never, you know, I never imagined falling in love with West Point. I never imagined falling in love with the army Um, but you know, here I am, I've been in for almost eight years now. Um, you know, the army has been nothing but good to me and my family. So I have no regrets about that. And, you know, every preconceived notion I had has been changed along the way in some way, shape or form. And so when did it become more of about, more about a basketball driven decision into more of not decision, I should say, because it sounds like basketball played a big part in your decision-making process. But when you were on campus and were enrolled, when did it transition for you in terms of like, all right, this is something that I can see myself being a part of holistically as opposed to basketball-wise? Um, it was probably my second summer there. So every summer you do 
different um, training. So your first summer is called Beast Barracks and you show up like in your civilian clothes, you walk in, they shave all the guy's hair, they put you in a uniform. Uh, By the end of the first day, you're marching in a formation and doing a parade. And it is like, it is a traumatic day, Matt. (laughs) I remember falling asleep that night. Um, I don't, I remember thinking that I couldn't even walk across the hall to go to the bathroom or I would get in trouble. You know how crazy that is. But um, yeah, so the first summer I was, you know, I got through it. I think that's what most people do. But then the second summer I had um, a really good cadet who was my cadet leader for the summer. Um, And they put cadets in all these leadership positions and they basically run summer training for the underclassmen. And she just made it so much fun the second summer. Um, I really enjoyed being in the field. I had fun, like learning all the new skills that we learned. I, you know, I didn't mind like going out there and patrolling and sleeping in the woods and carrying all the heavy stuff. And that's when it started clicking for me, like, okay, this isn't that bad. And, you know, I'm not that bad at it either. So maybe this is something that's like good for me, like a good fit for me. And maybe I don't necessarily want to do something where I'm not in the field doing training. So that's kind of where everything shifted for me. And being a division one athlete or an athlete at any division, but specifically for division one, it can be an all encompassing part of your life. Like it feels like uh, I had my college coach had a great line and I've shared it with a lot of people over time. And I feel like every single person I've ever said it to like agreed wholeheartedly. And they're like, all right, in college, there's three parts of your life. There's your academic life, there's your social life, and there's your athletic life. And you can choose two. Yeah. That's, so that's true. <laughs> so what was what what was the what were the physical and academic and just mental demands of West Point um, besides what you were required to do from a basketball perspective? Um, so I think the one difference between West Point and the other, like a, a normal school, when you talk about the social stuff, um, in West Point you're always in. I we called them barracks, but they're really dorms right? Um, And everybody in your class is going through like these shared experiences every summer through all this training and all this sort of stuff. And you get like a really good bond with your classmates, even outside of um, sports. So I think that like socially, it was almost easier um, because I was living with the same people for all four years. Um, I didn't have to like, I had my basketball friends and I had my friends who were in my cadet company and I had my friends who were in my major, and I was seeing them all the time. And West Point's also kind of in its own little island. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been there, Matt, but it's uh, it's uh, like an hour north of New York City, and there's not much around it. So I, ha- you know. I have, in fact, see, I went to Vassar College, so okay. so we ha- so I feel like it wasn't a shock to see some guys from West Point on campus at Vassar occasionally. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to have more of a, a more traditional college Friday night or yeah, Saturday exactly. night. Exactly. That's, you know, people would venture out maybe an hour or two away to some other colleges. But, you know, your freshman and sophomore year, you don't have a car and you don't really have a lot of opportunities to leave campus. So you like you get all those people like and you're with them, you know, every night. And uh, so that was that's one thing that was really beneficial about going to West Point. Um, I think the shared experience, the shared hardship, like you make bonds like none other, not only with your teammates, but with your classmates. Um, and then academically, um, it's pretty rigorous. Um, I was taking anywhere from 
18 to 24 credits every semester um, as a civil engineering major. And so I had to spend a lot of time focused on studying. Um, and I, I, like I said, I thank God for my classmates because I would miss a ton of class for basketball. And I always had somebody who'd be willing to sit down with me and go over the notes. Um, and then all of our instructors, their only job at West Point is to be our instructors. They're not there doing uh, their own research or anything like that. Like we have at Harvard where, you know, everybody's working on their PhD or doing their own research, you know, competing for funding and fellowships. So we had people who were really just dedicated to us, which was just such a great, like just a really, really great experience. I think all around. Now, did you play basketball all four years? I did. Yeah. All right. So that's something that happens for a lot of athletes, especially if it's like either a, a sport that doesn't receive a lot of media attention or if you're at a school that doesn't receive a lot of media attention for athletics. Playing all four years can be tough because you get yeah. to the point where like, all right, you know, you're missing out on, on social things or maybe you're, you know, it's just hard to burn the candle at both ends, especially if things aren't going great in your life or in, in, in basically in, in any respect. So do you ever have, you ever seriously question whether or not you were going to stick around for for hoops or did it always just kind of naturally flow year in and year out oh no I think basketball like in the beginning is one of the things that kept me there um, because the first like I said the first year is just such a dramatic change from your quote-unquote normal life um so having the team and the structure of like practice every day and knowing that I'd see the girls and have these upperclassmen who are looking out for you um was really really beneficial for me um, but no, I, I loved it, Matt. Like I, I had some really great opportunities through basketball, um, being in the New England area, we got to play some great teams like Rutgers and UConn and, you know, um, some like really awesome. I played at Madison Square Garden. Um, I, oh my I think gosh. my, I think my sophomore year. Yeah. We, the Maggie Dixon classic was being held there. So we got to play at Madison Square Garden. Like that stuff is just really cool to look back on. And, you know, I was lucky too. um, to be able to, I started for three years, um, and I finished with, um, over a thousand points and a thousand rebounds and about 200 blocks. So, Aaron, um, you were stunned. <laughs> you know, the 1,000 yeah. 1, club. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Rebounding was kind of my thing. Um, I think my junior year, I had a really good scoring year, like something like 16 points a game, but rebounding was always like the one thing that I was taught was, you know, you can, you can be terrible at everything else, but rebounding is the one thing that you can be good at every single game. You just have to work hard. Like you can have an off game shooting, you can have an off game with your passing, but like rebounding and defense are just what you have to do no matter what. And you got to be super tough to be a good rebounder. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I was a center, so I'm, I'm six feet tall. Um, I was going to ask like, you about that because the, the, the rebounding sass did not necessarily match up with what I assumed your height was. And I just assumed you were six feet tall, like, you know, seeing your pictures and things like that, which is for people who aren't aware, like undersized, that's undersized, that's undersized, undersized. That's undersized for a division three center, never mind yeah. division one center. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, like a six foot tall, you know, like a buck 70, maybe, um, when I was playing basketball. Uh, so I was pretty undersized, but you know, it's funny, like looking back on it now, the one thing that I was really, really good at Matt was running the court. So, um, if you're going to be short, you got to be fast. 
yeah, you got to be fast. <laughs> like I would be the person who would get the rebound and then be able to beat the entire other team down the court and like get a fast break layup. So that was one thing that I like could put my, my feather in my cap for. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny how it's kind of translated to be something that carried over. And my dad was always a runner too. So it was something, again, I grew up with, he ran marathons. Um, He was a a college runner at St. Joe's for his first two years. Um, So it was something that like I saw him do and I never really did myself. Like I did what I had to, to train. Um, And then it wasn't until after basketball ended that I really started well, I guess I started running to train for military things. And then as I, you know, was kind of those military opportunity, the opportunities to go to these military schools were dying down that I started running like, oh, let's see how fast I can go just to see how fast I can go. Oh, absolutely. All right. So one last basketball question because I'm sure. a basketball nerd. <laughs> like you like you to transition me perfectly there into running. I'm like, no, I'm staying with hoops. So who was the best player you played against in college? Oh, Maya Moore. Oh, you got to play against Maya Moore? No, so, yeah. So yeah. did you ever get to guard her on a switch or anything? I know she's a shooting guard, so you might not um, have, like, been matched up with her. You know what? I think I guarded her when we played UConn because I was, um, like, I could keep up with her pretty well for a while because um, I was fast, right? So, like, our our three player at West Point was, like, maybe five foot eight, and she's, like, a solid six foot, six one. So I do think I guarded her for a little while. And was um, she a yeah. two-time national player of the year? Yeah, I maybe Roughly. more. I, I mean, don't she was know. unbelievable. Well, you know, so the funny thing is one of my West Point teammates played in high school with Maya. So, like, when I went to her wedding, to Liz's wedding, uh, like, two or three years ago, I sat with Maya at the, <laughs> at the uh, reception. Like, she is just the most down-to-earth, like, awesome person you know she was a bridesmaid in the wedding and was just so excited to be there for Liz she had like flown from you know her summer in Europe uh playing basketball in Europe or something like that just to be there for like 48 hours and that's the sort of person she is which is even cooler right that you meet people like that and you're like wow they are like dedicated friends and like good people and that's what you want to see yeah she was like one of what the top five college basketball players of all time so to hear like that that kind of like yeah, that it's, it's nice when you hear about someone who that like that awesome as someone like that everyone looks up to and they hear that they're like a good person too it's like it's refreshing yeah. mm-hmm. all right so one thing you that you kind of intimated or at least i intimated for you was like the toughness aspect of someone who's undersized but also like being a dominant rebounder like there's a lot of toughness that goes along with that there's a lot of toughness with just being able to like get through west point you know i mean it's it's, it's a very it's a demanding culture uh, for mm-hmm. what it is and i've had i've had friends who've gone through and they were all you know tough kids but they were tough kids before they went too so just how do you feel like i've heard different things i've heard you know like if you go going into either in the armed services or going to west point things like that i've heard two different schools of thought about like all right it, it definitely will increase your toughness and your grit and all of that but you also hear that no not necessarily it just attracts people who are like that so where do you fall in that range in terms of you know the cultivation of those characteristics versus just the recruitment of those characteristics oh i think that they're cultivated absolutely matt like the um so you know for me i i think yes i i had some level of toughness in me i think we all do but you're put in so many positions like in the military and in west point where 
you have no choice but to perform, right? Um, you have to be tough. You have to grit it out. Like your choices are, you know, I'm going to quit college completely or I'm going to suck it up for another 24 hours, you know, in the field, carrying all of this equipment, you know, in the rain, <laughs> like just being miserable. Um, and you, you get a lot out of that stuff too. Um, you know, when I, like I said, my second summer, I really enjoyed the training. My third summer, I got to be part of the leadership for it. And then there's no fourth, yeah, no, the fourth summer, I actually didn't do much training at all. I did a bunch of um, like other academic stuff. But then when I graduated, um, I kind of looked back and I was like, okay, I've only done like the mandatory training that West Point's required of me. I had never had the chance to go to a military school in the summer um, because we always came back for like two weeks just to be on campus to like start working out in the weight room and play basketball and stuff. So my summer was usually cut short. Um, so that was like the, one of the first things that I wanted to do when I graduated because I really just wanted to prove myself. Um, so I, I asked to go to a school called um, Army Sapper School which is a leadership school for engineer officers. And it's basically, you go to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri and you spend two weeks um, basically inhaling all sorts of this information about how to be a good army engineer. Um, and it's all tactical stuff. Um, and then you go into the field for like 14 straight days and you just carry heavy crap around and you um, you're given different missions as a class and you each take a turn being part of the leadership and uh, like planning and executing those missions. And that was, you know, on the scale of the hardest things I've ever done. That was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but, you know, looking back now, I know that I, um, I was prepared for it coming out of West Point because I had been like pushed just slowly every year. I'd been pushed out of my comfort zone a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, never necessarily to my breaking point, but pretty close sometimes. And it, it adds up, you know, after a while, you start being more confident in yourself. And I think that that's the big thing. Like the military is going to keep pushing, keep demanding a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more out of you. And all of a sudden you're in a place that you never thought you could be. I heard a great line one time. It was a, not that it was, I think it was, uh, excuse me if this is a little incorrect, but it was something along the lines of that courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the perseverance through it. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking, the thing that popped up for me is when you have self-doubt, um, not just now, but then or any point, what are some of the ways that you drive past that or don't let it be a hindrance to succeeding in what endeavor in whatever endeavor you're you're currently involved in i'd say the biggest thing for me is just putting it in perspective um you know maybe because partially of my, my military experience and having been deployed overseas um i look at some of the situations that i'm in right now and i say you know like okay nobody's life is on the line right now you're not you know you're not in a war zone um you're just running or, you know, it's just a test or it's just a paper you have to write, or, you know, the kids are going to go to bed eventually <laughs> because that's the position. <laughs> that's the high stress position I find myself in more often than not lately. Um, yeah. I, I think that putting in perspective is one of the big things. And then, you know, another skill that we actually learned pretty well uh, at West Point as cadets was um, 
like just all these different breathing techniques. I know it sounds kind of weird, but like to get your heart rate down and like center yourself and that stuff that I've always found really, really useful. Like when you feel your heart rate going up, just being able to like step back and take a couple deep breaths and get yourself from being at that, like, you know, 160, 180 back into that, like below 90 <laughs> type range so that you can think more clearly and be able to, to push through like stressful situations. Right. Like this. Like I, all right. I'm going to fast forward to like life as a parent now. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this is great. Because like what you just brought up, like I, I, like I find myself in a lot, especially as a parent of a three-year-old and a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. So when you, you, you're, you're a parent of two young kids, you're super busy. You want to get stuff done. And obviously they don't give a crap about your timelines. Excuse my language. So when you have those moments, either as a parent and or just as a person where you have the potential to act out like in an emotional manner how do you kind of step back from the edge and and like you know kind of you know i guess resist the urge to do so so i'll start with saying that it's that this is definitely a learned behavior too (laughs) because when my daughter was uh a little baby i really really struggled with this you know like you totally lose control of your life when you have a kid (laughs) so um, it's, it's really hard to like cope with when you're used to being super independent and everything. But I think that, um, since Grace has gotten a little older and since Ben came along, I've just gotten good at like looking at the situation and saying, you know, they're only going to be this age for one day. They're all, this moment is going to pass. Um, we're going to move on to something different. Like they're going to both go to sleep and wake up happier or, Um, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna turn something on TV and they'll all of a sudden be entertained. But just knowing that the moments are really temporary. um, I think having them so close in age helps kind of helps with that too. Because I look at Grace and I know that 19 months ago, she was the same size as Ben. And I look at her now she's, you know, she's two years old. She's talking in full sentences. She basically potty trained herself last week. I'm looking at Ben, who's like my little cuddly baby, like, oh my gosh, you don't have that much time left as my little baby. So (laughs) that's really helped a lot, like being able to see the contrast, um, especially, like I said, having the second one. Yeah, that's a, I'm still trying to get past the whole she potty trained herself part. Like I like, like the rest of that, after you said those words, (laughs) it was like the peanuts card. So I was like, wow, 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 in the background. Like, I lost, I lost all of what you said after you said Grace basically potty trained herself. Oh, yeah. Right. She, I, this, us, is, this, is the pod, this is a podcast about Grace, but I need to know more about that. <laughs> I don't know. She just blew us away. Like, one day she started pointing to the, the, the training toilet we had in her closet and be like, I go potty, I go potty. <laughs> and we're like, okay, we'll try that this weekend. And she's been awesome. Like, it, it was, you know, one weekend wearing pull-ups and then she was in underwear it's been awesome (laughs) and it was just in time too because ben just started solid foods and parents know what that means for (laughs) diaper changes so you're buying the same amount of diapers (laughs) pretty much yeah (laughs) um no i we've been there blowouts on a whole different scale Um, oh yeah (laughs) uh yeah oh god in the stink oh god the smell The, the smell that when they go to solid food is just the Oh yeah, if you're not it's, a parent it's yet, great. <laughs> dear listener, if you're not a parent yet, look forward to that moment. Just wait. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. So 
obviously you're a driven person. You, you, you've achieved a lot in a lot of different areas and you're still achieving sorts, all sorts of things. So have you always been goal oriented? And if so, how do you, I guess, set, set your mind to certain things? Is there a certain system that you follow or how, what, what is the process for you when it comes to achieving things that are important to you? Um, I would say it was, I'm, I've been very goal oriented and very competitive my whole life. Um, and I've kind of gotten that competition under control a little bit more in the last like two or three years. Cause it was always, I think maybe too much of an external competition. Like I wanted to do certain things, um, to be able to be like, okay, yeah, like I saw that person do it. So that's, that makes sense. I should do that next. Um, and over the years I've kind of realized that it's, you know, I'm, intrinsically motivated too and it's it's not about like outdoing other people it's definitely about doing the best things that I can possibly do um so I I think that's a big part of it and then again like I said recently it's been about setting goals that are um like realistic with where I am in life and where my priorities are in life right now like we um this this whole last six months have just been like nonstop for us. Ben came, um, I, I don't think most of your listeners would know, but my son was born like emergency C-section in May. Um, I, I fell at work visiting a soldier who was in the hospital and I was 35 weeks pregnant and ended up falling forward. So they kept me for observation and it turned out I had abrupted my placenta. Um, so he came emergency C-section a month early, spent two weeks in almost two weeks in the NICU. Um, and then we came home and my husband and I both transitioned out of our jobs, which was like something that we knew was coming, but we thought we were going to, like, I was still going to be pregnant when that happened. Um, and then we packed up the house and we moved from Tennessee to Boston, um, you know, with a then 20 month old and a two month old. (laughs) um, I'm getting tired just listening to this yeah and then we like got settled here and then started school and going from you know I haven't been in school in eight seven seven and change years right so I'm going from okay like I've been working um, in a field that didn't actually necessarily use my civil engineering degree that much into data science at Harvard which is super heavy you know, applied math and statistics. And then, like I said, computer science, um, I, I, you know, barely even knew how to turn on my computer correctly. Right. (laughs) I was the person who was always at the IT help desk. And the first day when they're like, okay, turn your computer into developer mode, this will let you manipulate like everything on your machine. I was like, oh, hang on, wait, are you serious? Cause I can't do that. Like (laughs) I'm going to break something. (laughs) So Um, it's been just a lot of transitions for us all at once. And, um, I had to step back and say to myself, like, okay, you know, what, what should your goals be right now? Like we, we were really excited for this opportunity to go to grad school because it would give us a little bit more time as a family. Um, so that was one of my big goals was to be able to spend more time with my husband and my kids. And then, you know, grad school is another one because that's what the army is paying me to do right now. Like I can't, you know, can't slack on that. So those had to be my first two goals. And well, I would love to, you know, maybe jump into some different things with like running and athletics and like all sorts of stuff. Um, those are my first two and they have to stay my first two right now. Yeah, I can imagine that. That is certainly a whirlwind, and um, we 
we should fail. To, I failed to ask you before, like Ben's doing well now, everything good. Oh yeah. He's, he's great. He was um, what they consider a feeder grower in the NICU. Like he, um, he had a little trouble breathing in the beginning. So they put him on oxygen and because of that, he didn't eat for like the first 24 hours. So then we spent nine days teaching him how to eat, which was um, a little exhausting, but he's perfectly healthy now. Fantastic. Fantastic. And one thing um, that you mentioned before too, is that like basically and you, you can say it in so many words, but that from an achievement and success standpoint, well, that you know you're capable of so much more than maybe you think you can, or you can do. You're you're capable of doing so much as a person, like that we're mm-hmm. all capable of achieving a lot. And I bring it up in the context of competition with other people because that's where things can get tricky, right? Mm-hmm. So like, okay, if you have that belief right? That growth mindset belief that you're capable of so much as long as you put in the effort. It's hard not to be competitive and say like, I can do that. Cause inherently you're a growth mindset person. You already believe that you say, yeah. all right, I can do that. I know I can. It's just a matter of me doing it. And that, I feel like that can just feed into someone who's already competitive by nature or nurture, because you're inherently believed that like, all right, I know I'm, I'm capable of doing that. And the only thing that's stopping me is me. So when am I going to shake myself out of this and get it done? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you have to realize that like, yeah, I like based on my fitness right now, Matt, you know, V.02 will tell you that I'm capable of like a 130 half marathon. But in my like real life right now, I don't have the time to put in the number of miles to extend my fitness from like the 5k distance to the half marathon distance. And that's something that took me a couple weeks to say, like, okay, like, that's all right. You know, like, this is where you are right now. You're being a parent. You're being a grad student. You're being a wife. Like, you're probably only going to be able to fit in, like, 20 miles a week and still keep up with the strength work and still keep up with the homework and still keep up with the kids and still, like, you know, maybe make a cook dinner once a week or something. So, like, I'm okay with, I've hit the point where I'm okay with like making those concessions and saying like, I'm just going to be the best I can with what I have the the time and space to do right now. Um, and that's what's, that's, I think what's been really important for me to realize in this season of life. Um, and I've been really happy and I've been able to train hard with like keeping my expectations scaled for what I have time to train for. Um, and it's been good. It's been good for me. <laughs> That's a great, like, level-headed way of approaching it. It reminds me of actually an audio book I was listening to today, which I'm not going to say the name because it's the F word. It's, <laughs> so it's like, it rem- it's like, it's called, like, Untuck Yourself. But that's not mm-hmm. quite the title. But, um, but that's, <laughs> anyway, bestseller. I was like, I'll give this a shot. And, it, and it, it has an interesting point in it where the author is talking about um, basically setting yourself up for determining what you're willing to do and what you're unwilling to do and being Mm -hmm. real with yourself and then letting that dictate future choices. Like, all right, instead of being jealous of someone who has six pack abs, if you're unwilling to give up your favorite foods, then just say, I'm unwilling to do that. And then, and then maybe that will lessen your, you know, lessen that feeling of guilt. If you like see six pack abs on somebody and you say, Oh, I wish I had that. But like, no, I'm unwilling to do the things that it takes to do that. And yeah, it's, it, it kind of mirrors what I heard you just say now. 
yeah, it's, it's put me in like a really good place mentally because I'm a lot less overwhelmed. Like I'm not trying to bite off more than I can chew because I think at the end of the day, that's like, we get most disappointed in ourselves when we overcommit and we're trying to do too much. And, you know, you realize that you're just like overwhelmed with everything that's going on and like, don't get me wrong. I still have those moments. Um, but I think like holistically right now, I'm like in a really good place in terms of managing all the things that I have going on and being realistic about what I have the time to do. And it's also helped me to compartmentalize a little bit better. Like I know when I get on campus every morning, like I'm at school and I will do schoolwork and that goes through the day. And then I leave campus at four 30 and pick up the kids at like five 15 and from five 15 until they go to bed, like that is parent mode. Um, and you know, I, I probably, like I said, if I wanted to wake up at, 4:30 in the morning and try to go run, you know, 12 miles on a weekday. I probably could do that, but I don't really want to right now. Um, I'd rather wake up with my kids and spend the morning with my kids and my husband, and that's that's okay. Yeah, both are okay. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's about the choice you want to make, and then and then like basically being okay with those choices. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's dive into it because you are basically presenting yourself in that lead up. It was like, all right, Bronnie's taking a backseat to all of these things. However, spoiler alert, you just set your 5k PR. So you're, you're yeah. still getting it done. Like you're, you're kicking butt. So what does your running schedule look like right now? Like how much are you um, getting done and when are you getting it done? So I'm running uh, usually about four days a week, maybe five thrown in. Um, I have two days where I don't have a class in the morning. So when we leave, my husband will take the kids to daycare. Uh, When he leaves, I'm like seconds behind him out the door to get my run in. Um, I'll squeeze it in those mornings. Um, And then on the weekends, I usually can throw in another run. So I try to do one workout a week and one, you know, quote unquote long run, like all the marathoners will laugh because my long run is like six or seven miles. But, (laughs) you know, for me, that's, you know, I have about an hour to dedicate to it. So I do what I can with the amount of time I have. And then I also try to strength train as much as I can. Um, We're lucky because we've, you know, built a a decent little home gym. We've got some kettlebells and dumbbells and a barbell so I can get strength work done at home um, on the other mornings, even if it's only for like 10 or 20 minutes. Um, And then I try to like on the weekends, for example, this weekend I took, I ran with my daughter to her swim lesson and then ran back because we're living in Boston right now. And, you know, everything, you don't realize how small, like how everything is actually kind of walkable basically. So um, that's, that's kind of how I'm, I'm making it work right now. Um, my husband also spent this fall training for the Marine Corps marathon. So he kind of got the, the primary slot in like taking a lot of time to do running because <laughs> um, he was marathon training. So that's kind of where we were. For sure. And you just mentioned the weightlifting. You've done some really instructive videos on your Instagram profile with some of the lifting that you do. Why do you make that a priority in your life? Um, you know, I think I've just always done strength training. Like you see a lot of, I think especially women who will say like, oh, you know, I never got into strength training until later in life or, you know, I'm too afraid to go to a gym, but I was, because of basketball, I joined like a gym when I was 14 and started like, you know, went with my coach and got a couple instructions on how to lift and was doing squats and deadlifts and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then at West Point, obviously I was, we had a, 
a great strength coach. Um, we called him Satan. <laughs> and he sounds uh, wonderful. Sounds like yeah, a great guy. He was our head strength coach, and um, he just would kick our butts all the time. But he helped me a ton when I um, when I finished basketball and was getting ready to start doing like these more advanced army schools. Um, I had about two months after basketball ended before graduation. And I just asked him to put me on the same program that he had the football players who were going to ranger school and stuff like that on. Um, so it's just always been something I've done and I, I like it and um, I know it's beneficial. So I'd rather keep doing it, even if it's only two or three days a week. Now you might not do it because of running, but do you feel like it helps you as a runner? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Matt, the funny thing is like, I never really paid attention to my running that much. Like I, like I said, I ran for these army schools, but until about two years ago, I didn't really like worry about like, Oh, what my times were and all that sort of stuff. Like my half marathon PR was set, um, while I was living in Missouri and I don't even think I was running that much. I ran a 138, and I was doing like really, really good CrossFit style strength training at that point. And I think I just did like, okay, like the four weekends before I ran like eight miles and 10 miles and 12 miles and then like an eight miler and was like, okay, let's go run a half marathon. <laughs> you know. So I, I think I really appreciate like how much that plays into like your overall fitness. Um, and if you do, um, first off being strong just helps, helps your body as a whole while you're running. But if you're doing like certain type of workouts, um, it can really help you cardiovascularly too. All right. So let's think about, let's think about what's wrong with me. I'm thinking about, we're talking about it. Let's, let's talk about a 10 minute workout that you're able to do that you feel like is very beneficial for you, especially someone who has, you know, over a decade of strength training experience. So if you get in a 10 minute workout that's beneficial for you, shoot, I got no excuse. So let's talk about that. Okay. I would say what, what equipment do you have? Like we have a barbell and that's what has been like, that was a game changer for us when we finally decided to buy a barbell. So well, I would actually get... my job where I work now, so I'm the, I'm the major, I'm the major gift officer for athletics. Oh, so you have university. a gym. <laughs> yeah. So I literally work in a gym. So yeah. I have all the stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I would say get the barbell um, and you want to be doing probably like clean and jerk and thruster movements. I remember one great workout that we used to do up at West Point, um, not for basketball, but when I was like training after basketball was we would do um, like 50 ground overhead, like take the barbell and load it with, I think, you know, maybe back then I could throw around like 95 pounds, but now it would be a lot less. <laughs> and you just go like ground to overhead, clean and jerk. And then you run a mile at like an eight minute clip and then you get back out and you do another like 40 of them. And then you run another mile and then you get back out and do another 30. Like that sort of stuff is making you stronger. And it's like, you are smoked by the end. You know, it's all about going from exercise to exercise as quickly as you can. Um, and clean and jerk is one of my favorite exercises. Thrusters are another really good one. Um, there's some really good ones that will work your entire body. Um, and leave you like your heart rate will soar. <laughs> right. So it's all about efficiency and then making sure that you're using the major muscle groups. Yeah. That's, that's for me. Yeah. Cause I can do like the things, you know, the, the bird dogs and the planks and the, um, the, uh, what are they donkey kicks and stuff like that while I'm at home hanging out with my kids, you know, like watching TV or like 
playing with them on the floor or something, you can do those little exercises. Like when you're in the gym, just focus on the stuff you can only do in the gym. That's a great line. That's a great line. It's like so obvious, right? But it's, yeah. but it's easy to lose sight of it. You know, just like you mentioned before, like when it's like 5.15 to 7.15, it's like that's your time to be a parent. So be a parent then. Like if you're in the yeah. gym, like be in the gym, which I guess if like you're time crunched or you just need to live a very like, you know, I guess a very scheduled life. You really mm-hmm. have to make sure that you're doing what you're doing in that moment if you want to be as successful as possible. Yeah, I remember when we were deployed, my soldiers would always go to the gym in like groups of five and they'd spend like an hour and a half there lifting and I'd go in and be in and out in 20 minutes. And they'd be like, hey, ma'am, you were barely in the gym. It's like, oh, yeah, but I did a lot more in my 20 minutes than you guys probably did in your hour and a half. So yeah, like the, like the max bench followed oh, yeah. by five minutes of sitting there followed by max bench. I mean, it's, it's a great way of improving your bench, but it's like not like. Not necessarily get your you overall fit. fitness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've always been focused on like my overall fitness. Um, you know, maybe if I were training for like a weightlifting competition or a figure competition or something, it would be different. But I've just always been more interested in being like overall in good shape. You know, it's kind of a job requirement for what I do. So, all right. So you're going to be the the most fit data scientist at Harvard. I'll just throw that out there. I don't. I don't. Any of your classmates? I'm going to say that. So you might. You might I don't be the know. Most fit. I was talking to one the other day. He uh, he ran a 229 in Boston a couple of years ago. Hey, now. Look at that. I know. But, yeah, can he, but can he throw around 95 pounds in the clean and jerk? He might not be able to, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you ran uh, 1945 um, mm-hmm. two weeks ago or one week ago. In your, I'm like losing track of the days. Yeah, this, one this, week ago. Yeah. At your, at your 5K, 1945, which is 621 mile pace. First of all, congrats. Like, I know that was, that was like a goal race for you, which is always fun to like to knock those out of the park. What was your goal going into the race? Um, my goal was right to be right about 1940. Back in September, I did a training run and, you know, I was using my Garmin, so I don't know how like accurate it was, but I hit 1940 for my 5k. Um, and I was like, okay, like I can do this in a race condition. Um, I had kind of hoped that I would be closer to like 1930, but it was, it had rained the night before and it was on um, like a pathway around a little pod that was covered in trees. So there were leaves all over the course. So I was like, okay, you know, I went in that day and looked at it and was like, okay, like 1940, 1950 is probably where I'm going to fall because the course was a little bit slippery. Um, And, you know, I think I posted it about about it before too. Like I had a goal, but I also knew that, you know, if I didn't hit it, it wasn't going to be that big of a deal because it's also, it's a 5k. Like the thing with a distance like that is that you can train really hard. And if you bomb your race, like you can go out the next weekend and run another one, you know, you can't do that with like a marathon or a half marathon distance. Cause it just wears your body down so much. Um, that's true. That's true. But, but also what wears your body down is having, you know, having childbirth happen yeah <laughs> like in the spring so what allowed you to like you know to 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 give birth to have a lot of mental emotional and physical stresses <clears throat> um not in a, i don't mean stress like in a negative sense necessarily but just a lot of things affecting your life in your body in your mind over the past you know six to eight months what what put you in a position to capitalize on the fitness you created because this is a pretty unique situation to get a, to get us to set a 5k PR 
off of roughly 20-ish miles a week, considering everything that's been going on in your life in 2018. What do you think, looking back on it, are lessons that you would take from that experience? So I was actually, I was thinking about this today because I had a funny feeling you'd ask something like this. Um, so I told you Ben was born early. Um, he came about five weeks early. And honestly, I had not planned to do any sort of competing this fall. Um, I thought he would be due in June. Like he was due May 31st. I figured he'd come in June because my daughter was born late. Um, and then that we'd move in July before I got cleared by my doctor in Tennessee. So I'd have to get all, you know, move my two, my newborn and my toddler, get settled in Massachusetts, get set up with a new doctor. Like I didn't think I'd even be able to like do a follow-up with an OB or a midwife until like mid-August. So I had kind of written off the fall as like, okay, you're just gonna like take it easy, run your miles, get back in shape, and then you can compete in the spring. So like Ben coming early was a blessing in disguise for us in a lot of different ways. And I, you know, I could go into tons of detail about all the different things that ended up setting up. But, you know, for me, it meant that by mid June, I was cleared to start exercising again. And by the time we got back up here in August, um, I had been able to get like a pretty good base. Um, I spent about 10 weeks just running easy and slow and um, working from about, you know, eight miles the first week up to about 20 miles. And then, Matt, you're, you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but Ben started sleeping through the night when he was three months old. Oh, like, my kids, my kids out of did nowhere. too. My kids did too. We were the envy of all of our cousins. So I, yeah, yeah, my, I got my daughter I know exactly didn't what you until, mean. Yeah, my daughter didn't until she was almost nine months. So like oh. I had thought to myself between the, you know, I thought I would give birth almost six weeks after I did. I thought that I wouldn't get cleared until like mid-August. And then all of a sudden my three-month-old is sleeping through the night. And I was like, oh, like I can get, you know, my seven or eight hours of sleep every night now. I'm not waking up at 2 a.m. to feed him. So um, like all of these stars just kind of lined up. And like by the end of August, I was like, okay, like I've done 10 or 12 weeks of just building a base, but I'm feeling really good right now and feeling really comfortable. Um, and that was where I kind of said, okay, like you need to, Put a goal race on your calendar right now and I had promised myself when I got pregnant that I would um like start slow and not as much distance because after my first baby I jumped right into half marathon training <laughs> and I ran a half marathon before grace like the day grace turned 10 weeks old um very proud of it but it was probably not the best thing that I could have done for my body um so I was like I'm gonna keep it manageable and stick with 5k is my first like goal once I get back from my like recovery postpartum. So that was, I, I can't even remember what question you actually asked me, but that was kind of how the stars started lining up for this. Um, and then, like I said, my focus was on doing, doing my best with the, the time I had. So um, I focused on doing one really good workout a week. Um, and that ended up being what, was my bread and butter. Um, I do like 800 repeats or like longer intervals, um, trying to get my pace down farther and farther. Um, and just kept honing in on trying to be comfortable running like a 620 to 630 mile for a couple miles. Um, and over the course of that 12 weeks of training for it, it, it got there. Now it sounds like you make a point of prioritizing your sleep. Was that always the case? Um, no. And trust me, I've had a couple of really bad weeks. I know that you've been working on like sleep and rest and recovery right now. 
Um, and I have not always been good at it, um, especially since starting school. Because believe it or not, academia operates on the schedule that toddlers don't. Like academia, they like they start picking up their workload at like six o'clock at night. <laughs> Meanwhile, my kids are up at you know five thirty or six in the morning. So I try to get to bed as early as I can on weekends and when I don't have stuff due like the next day because there are some nights where I'm up until like 10 o'clock or midnight or something just still staring at my computer trying to get work done. And if you have say a six hour, six hour sleep night or maybe even a little less, do you notice it right away or is there, does that have to be, do you have like a couple in a row for it to start to affect you? Oh no, I, I notice it right away. Like this week we had, I think one night where I got like six hours of sleep and I was miserable the next day. I, it was actually, yeah, it was like on Wednesday, I tried to um, throw myself on the treadmill to do a little tempo run. And I got like 0. 0.05 miles in and was like, nope, we're just doing easy miles today. <laughs> like I can't, uh, you know, I, I knew that I didn't have enough energy for that. Um, so that's another thing like I've learned over time is that it's not worth pushing yourself um, again, in every arena, like I'm already pushing myself in the academic world right now. So if I need to cut a little bit on the running, or if I'm pushing myself with parenting stuff, and I need to, like, I've asked for tons of help at Harvard, I go to all the office hours with the teaching assistants and all sorts of stuff. You know, you have to cut yourself a break at some point and realize that it's okay to ask for help and okay to step back and say like, okay, I'm not superhuman. And that's a hard line to 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 cross to like to stay on the right side of, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, because you feel like you're like you're failing if you don't do everything well, and sometimes you just have to say like, no, I'm doing everything pretty good. You know, I'm not doing everything well every single minute. Um, and like I said, I I've had to clearly define what my priorities are right now, and they are my husband and my kids and my school. So when I like rack and stack everything, those ones have to come first. And some of that comes to trial and error, right? In order to like yeah. to do that properly, you have to kind of crash and burn a couple of times. Yeah, no, absolutely. I had some very um, high stress, high anxiety nights, especially in September. And, you know, my husband is, is amazing. He's been able to like sit me down and like talk me off a ledge and say, okay, like, what do we need to do to like, to get this under control um, so that you feel like, you're not drowning. And that's been just so helpful. Like one of them was saying like, Oh, you can get tutors. Like there's a, you know, a setup at Harvard where you can get tutors. So I've had to get tutors in one of my uh, like computer science oriented classes, because like I said, I barely even knew how to, you know, turn my computer on and off the right way, let alone actually write code. So <laughs> that's been amazing. Um, and, you know, he is, um, he's kicked butt on um, like helping out around the house and helping out with the kids and, you know, offering to take them, you know, out somewhere on the weekend so that I can just focus on getting homework done for two hours. And that way I can be more present with them at the end of the day. So it's, it's definitely a balancing act and it's great to have somebody in your corner who can help you with all of that. Well, you are certainly an amazing person because this, you know, I knew this conversation would be really insightful and I was so excited about it, as I told you before we got going, but this has blown me away. You are doing amazing things and I couldn't be more grateful for you to come on the show. So first of all, thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, one last thing before we dive into the last couple questions that I like to ask every guest. I know you are a coach. Are you still coaching? I am. Yeah. So I have, um, 
three ladies that I'm coaching right now. Um, it's, it's a hobby right now. It's not like a, you know, I'm not doing this as a business. I thought, trust me, the army will, uh, continue employing me for, (laughs) for a couple more years, especially after sending me to Harvard to get a master's degree. So, um, for right now, it's just something that I'm able to do, um, on nights and weekends. And I really enjoy helping, um, helping people to achieve their goals. And the ladies that I'm coaching are all like me, they're moms, they've got young kids, they're trying to balance it all. So it's nice to have that connection and be able to help them like find, um, find success, you know, and that's what they're all chasing right now. Um, one of them PR'd her half marathon in August and another one is, uh, going to test her legs in December. And then I've got another one who, um, is hoping to PR her half marathon in the spring. So, crossing my fingers for all of them because they're, they're trusting me and I appreciate that they let me be part of that process. Very exciting. All right. Good luck to all of them. That's for sure. All right. Yeah. So before we get going, if, when you're out on a run, are you going headphones or no headphones? Headphones. Absolutely. All right. So what are you listening to? Usually podcasts. Um, I have a playlist that's from like 2015 that I sometimes put on if I'm doing like speed work or something. Oh, what's but, on that? Um, oh gosh i'd have to look it's like uh it's probably some like girl power jams or something <laughs> all right i don't all even right. remember i don't listen especially now that we live in boston i don't even listen to the radio anymore so i don't even know like what is popular music because i'm never in my car so it's kind of funny how that works like i don't even know what people would be listening to right now i think everyone listens to the moana soundtrack is that right, right? oh yeah i feel like that's, that's what usually... i end up hearing Actually, I did turn on my podcast today and I had something from Disney on there. It was, it was still on Pandora from, uh, I took my daughter to the trampoline park today and we still had the Disney Pandora going. So. Oh my God. No, I hear it. Yeah. It's like, I'm either listening to that or Lori Berkner. Yeah. Oh, we like her too. We like little, we're still in the little baby bum phase. So oh my we've got goodness. like some mind numbing nursery rhymes. <laughs> I, I know them all. They, I literally like, I'm trying to talk right now, but I have like, it like, echoing in my head as soon as you said the baby bum like 17 <laughs> versions of wheels on the bus <laughs> one after another after another after another we saw i was think i saw that like last weekend that mm-hmm. was just like on repeat during lunchtime all right oh, or, or baby shark <laughs> oh my god this yeah. is like we're gonna completely derail the podcast oh it's yeah like everyone's dismay <laughs> if we keep going down this rabbit hole all right yeah so, all right um what is advice that you give other runners that you have trouble following uh, try to negative split because <laughs> I'm terrible about that. I just get caught up so much in uh, competing when I get the opportunity to that I usually go out too fast. But for um, all my ladies who I'm coaching, when I tell you to like stick to a certain pace for the first half, stick to it because it's going to pay off. <laughs> there you go. All right. So what's what, if you could run one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? So I thought about that one too. And probably because I'm really enjoying short distance right now, I would do something like the fifth Avenue mile. Like, I think that would be really cool. And that's the sort of race that you could run. Like when you're, you know, a hundred years old too, because it's only, it's a mile, right? And the age group. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a really cool one because like I said, you could do that for the rest of your life. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, I know there's people out there who run marathons when they're like a hundred but I'm not going to be one of them. So I know I that tried now. to get in that. I tried to get in that this year. Oh, really? I was, I've never, yeah, it was I've so never late in the game. It. it was so oh. late in the game because you know what they had? They had a media division. 
Oh, neat. And I okay. was like, so it was like, there was like five other podcasters and like the people who are like covering the race. Uh-huh. So it was like early on before like the, like the big time heats got, got going. And I was going down there to New York. Like I had like some work travel that was going to coincide with it. I'm like, oh my God, can I get in the media race? That'd be awesome. That'd be like so it didn't cool. end up working out. But I was like, now I like, got on the radar. Like I definitely want to do this in the future. Cause you yeah. can also like, if you're running, like you're going to be in shape to run a mile. I mean, you might not set a PR, but you could still like, you know, run as far as you can for five or six minutes. Yeah. And like the thing I love about racing is like getting that thrill of competing again. That's the one thing I, you know, I miss from my college basketball days is like when I could go out on the court and just be like competing and working hard and feel like, like I'm getting that endorphin rush from that only comes from competition. So exactly. Throwing your elbow at Maya Moore off a rebound. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So what's your favorite workout? Um, hmm. probably, Right now I've been doing like trying to do one and a half mile repeats. Um, I need to get up to doing like more of those, but I thought that was really helpful for me in 5k training. Like it was the right distance to, um, to really push myself and try and get my pace into the, like, like I said, the six teens or the six twenties and hold it and then recover for a couple minutes and then dive back into it again. Um, So you were, so you were thinking like slightly faster than 5k pace. I was, yeah, I was pushing myself slightly faster than 5K pace. Not always holding it, but trying for it. <laughs> and what kind of rest would you have in between? Um, I was, gosh, I was giving myself about half a mile, so about five minutes of, like, really slow jogging or walking. Okay. Yeah. All and right. then I, in my mind, I had been saying, like, I would do shorter and shorter rest periods as I got more fit. So I think that I did end up cutting it down from like five minutes to like three minutes or two minutes in between or something like that. And that way I was like stringing those, those a mile and a half runs together more. Right. Cause closer you, you to race much, day. Yeah. Cause you kind of had a choice, right? You could just say, all right, am I going to change the rest or am I going to increase the speed mm-hmm. or increase the number of reps? And I just didn't oh, have yeah. the time. I didn't have the time to increase the number of reps. Like my, window that I had to get workouts in was usually about like maybe an hour total. So once you warm up and do a workout and do a cool down and like get home and shower and get to school, like I just couldn't, couldn't necessarily be doing a workout day where I was going like seven or eight miles all the time. For sure. All right. Last one. Who's your dream running partner? Ooh. I didn't think about this one. I listened to your podcast today just so that I could like know what these questions would be. Um, you know, right now I would say it's my daughter because she's actually really getting into running. We do races around the house like every, every weekend right now. She made herself a bib um, out of construction paper and we put up painter's tape as a finish line and we just run laps. And she thinks it's the most fun thing ever. I saw so, that and I loved it. You uh, had a great video of her breaking the tape. That was fantastic. Oh yeah. She's still a little nervous about the tape. Like she's that person who would like slow up in the last like 10 meters and let someone beat her right now. I think she's just afraid to like rip it too hard. So (laughs) we'll work on that. That's great. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic. I really appreciate it. And good luck with everything you're currently doing. Thank you so much, Matt. And thanks for having me. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Big shout out to Mercury Mile for sponsoring the show. Again, go on to mercurymile.com.
to get your box of goodies today. Also, big shout out to my friends over at Megaton Coffee. Megaton Coffee is fueling the Rambling Runner podcast with coffee that's twice as caffeinated as your normal brand, but also tastes better. This stuff is the real deal. I absolutely love it. And they'll be bringing over, or sorry, I'm going to be bringing over, sorry about that, some Megaton Coffee down to the meetup at CIM. And uh, I know you're going to love it if you can get your hands on it. So go to megatoncoffee.com, buy a pound now. If you do, you'll be buying more. There's no doubt in my mind, not only is it great tasting and highly caffeinated, it's a steal of a deal. I know that sounds really hokey, but it's true. This stuff is a steal. It's twice as caffeinated. You only use half the amount. So thank you, Megaton Coffee. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I can't wait to see all my CIM peeps at the end of the week. And if I don't see you, happy running.